0: Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. When foreigners talk about Taiwan, senior members of the Chinese government take careful note. If influential outsiders are seen to be stirring up trouble on the issue, they risk being slammed by the Chinese media or even sanctioned. Typically, the message from Beijing is You have hurt the feelings of the Chinese people. The U.S. Department of Defense brushes off such emotional sentiment. It maintains that China's using aggressive and bullying behavior on the Taiwan Strait and is planning an invasion. Well, to guide us through how the debate over Taiwan is developing in the United States, I'm pleased to be joined as a guest by someone who I'm very sure will be able to take a measured view. Dr. Zuri Lenetsky is an expert on foreign policy at the Eurasia Group Foundation, and he joins me on the line from Washington, D.C. Suri, welcome to China in Context. Hi, Duncan. Thank you for having me. Let's start with some recent comments by the Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin. He said that China is threatening peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. What do you make of that kind of rhetoric?
1: I think their rhetoric is frankly... Dangerous because it puts the onus of Sino American tensions over Taiwan solely on China. It doesn't take into account the potential impact that any American actions could have had on these tensions. So let's talk about how the United States might be affecting the threatening posture that China is taking. The Trump administration. Uh, imposed export and tariff controls on China. The Biden administration has continued those. So this kind of impacts the Chinese attempt to modernize. I'll also say beyond these kind of export controls, as well as kind of signing the Taiwan Policy Act, which is now out of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, vocally criticizing China's human rights record, etc. And, you know, defining competition with Beijing as a strategic end, The United States, in the last few months, we've contributed to the tension with Nancy Pelosi, for example, arriving in Taiwan. The United States is feeding this. And by putting the onus squarely on China, it's not owning up to this being a two-player game, if you will.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the rhetoric which surrounded Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. I mean, it was presented as being a visit by a representative of a multi-party democracy, who wanted to express their support for another democracy, which was under threat from a large autocracy, namely China. That was the way Nancy Pelosi wanted to be viewed. How did you view it?
1: It was a troubling choice to make. Look, in the United States, I think that there was this push and put, there was a tug of war between the White House and Nancy Pelosi that kind of played out in the media. Should she go? Shouldn't she go? As soon it was, as it was announced, China kind of said, with saber rattling, if this happens, this will be a problem for us. And then the White House didn't want to bend to Chinese pressure, right? So this is the context in, in which it happened. The trip itself should have been better thought out. Her intention is to be kind of a supporter of democracy versus autocracy. But this idea of this global war between or struggle between democracy and autocracy, is it real? Is it actually happening? And should the United States be feeding that by kind of focusing on Taiwan, given that we know it's such a flashpoint? And here's what I'll say about Taiwan. The United States' position on Taiwan is, as we know, strategic ambiguity, meaning The United States does not want either side of the Taiwan Strait, meaning China and Taiwan, to alter the status quo, which is Taiwan exists and China exists as separate entities. This is all part of the one China policy that the United States has been following since the three communiques that start in the 1970s. But what Nancy Pelosi does as the sitting speaker of the House going to Taiwan is it threatens to change the status quo, meaning to undermine America's position on Taiwan, which for China creates this question. Is the United States still committed to strategic ambiguity? Is it altering the status quo by itself? And that adds a sense of urgency and pace and potentially a view of American-Taiwanese relations or American-Sino relations as zero-sum, and it creates a, a higher, a more intense threat environment from the Chinese perspective.
0: I find your interpretation very interesting, and it's not the kind of thing I hear very often from the United States. As you say, the rhetoric uh, is uh, quite
1: severe. Do you think
0: the support for Taiwan is bipartisan in Washington?
1: I don't mean to be pedantic here. The question is, what do you mean by support? right? So I don't think many people in the United States, be they in the halls of power or citizens, are interested in changing American policy towards Taiwan in terms of the Taiwan Relations Act, continuing to sell arms, military training, and generally maintaining a positive quasi-diplomatic relationship with Taiwan. The question of Taiwanese sovereignty is kind of a separate issue, but we maintain a diplomatic relationship with Taiwan in some after a fashion. This is certainly, in my opinion, bipartisan, right? I mentioned at the top of our discussion, the Taiwan Policy Act. This was a bipartisan bill introduced by Lindsey Graham, a Republican, and Bob Menendez, a Democrat, that has now passed the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And it's a $4.5 billion authorization for direct military assistance it bolsters taiwan sovereignty when it comes to its membership in international organizations and describes the taiwan us relationship as quote unquote values based and relies on this kind of democracy autocracy binary to say taiwan is a democracy so we must support it which by the way has pernicious consequences that we've seen in other parts of the world but we can bracket that off in terms of bipartisanship and, and there's a there's a bit of a uh, of a of a disconnect here because Republicans are more likely than Democrats, according to Pew, to say that China-Taiwan relations are a very serious problem for the United States. And conservative Republicans are even more insistent about the challenges of China and Taiwan than Democrats or liberal Democrats. So there is bipartisan support for maintaining the status quo. But when you dig into this a little bit, you get some divergence into how much of a threat we're facing.
0: I could also see observing the recent US midterm elections from a distance that foreign policy wasn't a major issue for voters, although they were concerned about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. From a strategic point of view, I could imagine that many people in the United States would therefore be very reluctant to see their country once again being drawn into a war in Asia. Memories of Korea and Vietnam must loom large. Do you think people are actually prepared to fight to defend Taiwan?
1: That's a wonderful question. The best answer I can give you is I don't think anyone knows, and I think that that might be the greatest indicator of the success of strategic ambiguity from the American perspective. My organization, the Eurasia Group Foundation, did a survey of American voters. We asked this question, considering the cost, should the US get involved in a war if China attacked Taiwan? 42% of respondents said they don't know. About 34% said yes, and about 24% said no. And in fact, we asked this question after Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. So I actually went back to last year's data, and fewer people said yes this year than last, that they would want to defend Taiwan. And the percentage of I don't knows went up. A lot of people don't know or kind of don't have a strong opinion on what to do about Taiwan. I will say this, though. There is a strong constituency and it's increasing over time of Americans that are willing to put US troops in places like Korea and Japan to kind of fend off the threat that China poses. So that might not be directly related to Taiwan and more of a regional kind of threat to the Indo-Pacific, Amongst people that are 30 and older, over the last five years, a larger percentage, moving from about 44% to about 54% this year, say that they would want to move American troops into the region. I will caveat that with one point. Young people in the United States, people between the ages of 18 and 29 about 56% of them reject the idea of putting more American troops in harm's way in the Indo-Pacific. This suggests to me that it's not at all clear what American voters think the United States should do in Taiwan or in the Indo-Pacific in general.
0: Well, it reminds me of the phrase armchair generals, people who think that they can control troops by sitting in their armchairs while they're reading the paper or listening to the radio but actually don't have to put their lives at risk on the front line of a battle we know don't we from the 20th party congress that xi jinping does have a plan to reunify taiwan as he puts it with the people's republic of china now people in taiwan say let's not talk about reunification because This island, this group of islands, have never been part of communist China. So there's a a whole debate about geography and sovereignty. But, you know, what do you think now about Beijing's timeline? Do you think reunification is something that China is aiming for? Uh, Could it happen by 2049? That's the centennial uh, of the founding of the People's Republic.
1: I mean, I think the debate about the history of Taiwan is fascinating because from what I can tell, it became a flashpoint after the Japanese um came to the island um, in in the early part of the 20th century, but again, not not the focus of your question. Look, I think there's a number of factors about reunification. In Taiwan, ta- looking in the domestic politics of Taiwan in particular, my, my father-in-law is a former official in the KMT. So I have a I have a special I have a special understanding of the KMT side. But what I'm learning about Taiwanese politics is that there's a huge generation gap, right? Young people support the current party of the DPP at much higher rates than the KMT. Amongst people who are 20 to 29 years old, about 40% of them support the DPP as opposed to about 6% for the KMT. So, you know, the DPP was founded in the late 80s with the idea of moving Taiwan further and further away from China. So that could affect China's calculation as the the current leader continues to build relationships with Japan and gets more and more support domestically. And as the percentage of people in Taiwan identify more as Taiwanese than Chinese, which has been happening more and more over the years, there is this disjuncture between China and Taiwan. So that's the domestic issue. But in terms of the question of what is reunification by 2049, it's really important to look at what the party says. And a lot of the guests on your show have have highlighted this, that the language of the party hasn't changed. There is no immediate plan for the party to invade the island. It's not making preparations clearly to invade. It's not clearly making preparations to invade the island. And even the draft uh, party report from the 20th Congress indicates that this idea of national rejuvenation by 2049 is linked to kind of reconnecting Taiwan and China, but peacefully, right? So if reunification is gonna happen by 2049, it's gonna have to happen peacefully. And I'll make one quick note on that. Why does it have to happen peacefully? Because Taiwan is a major player in the Chinese economy. This is, we're talking about $200 billion worth of trade between the island and China. Taiwan sits on $3 trillion worth of shipping lanes in getting involved in a conflict over Taiwan before 2049, or even at 2049 would cost China immensely, not to mention the rest of the globe. So I don't, I can't, I have no crystal ball. I don't know if China will ultimately try to reunificate. I think based on their documentation, they want to. I think they want it to be peaceful and to have two systems under one rule, which again, is the language and doctrine of the party. You know, if China invaded, would the United States actually get involved in a conflict? It would take about six weeks for America to move its military assets across the ocean. And if the United States did get involved, it would be incredibly costly militarily and financially for the United States. The short answer is if Taiwan declared independence, which again, I hope doesn't happen, and I don't think it will, this would likely lead to a conflict, the extent of which is unknowable. But if it did lead to a conflict and the United States decided to join, initial projections suggest that the United States would suffer a lot of losses uh, unless it could get its industrial base moving quickly and could get partners in like Japan to help it. And the war could last longer. The longer a war over Taiwan would last, the more it would benefit the United States as opposed to China. But I sincerely hope it doesn't happen because it would, in my mind, it would almost definitionally lead to a regional, if not global, conflict.
0: Well, that's a sobering scenario to finish with. Thank you very much indeed, Zuri. That was Dr. Zuri Nedetsky, an expert on foreign policy at the Eurasia Group Foundation, on the line from Washington. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute. You can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.